Let's be honest. Customer success organizations are under immense pressure to justify their existence as technology companies prioritize profitability. In this episode, we will take that challenge head on. I am Tom Slaw, the Executive Director of the Technology and Services Industry Association, and welcome to Tectonic, the podcast where we explore what makes technology business models successful in today's world. And today I will be joined by Stephen Fulkerson, who not only leads our TSI research in the area of customer success, but he is also rapidly becoming a tectonic hall of famer. So let's get the insight engine running here. Steven, welcome. You're back here from an episode that we did not that long ago with Jim Roth from Salesforce, where you were discussing what metrics customer success organizations should be tracking and reporting. And in that episode, you introduced this concept of a core score for CS organizations. So why don't we just open up here? Can you remind listeners of the components of the core score and tell us about how the industry is is reacting to that that score since we did that podcast? Yeah. First of all, Thomas, thank you for having me back. It is always a joy to be here and, and get to connect with you. And a longtime listener, I, I love being a part of this and I love listening to these podcasts. So thank you for doing these. But yeah, that was a great conversation with Jim Roth. And we had a really great conversation around metrics of customer success. And I was spending time talking about CORE score. And CORE is an acronym that starts with a K and it's K-O-R-E. And it stands for Keeping Organizational Outcomes, Retention, Renewal, and Reputation Excellent. So it's really taken a look at a relationship score that has been used across the years, which is Net Promoter Score, NPS have been hearing in the industry from talking to executive leaders about their pain that they experience with net promoter scores. So whenever there's a pain in the industry, my job is to try to find a framework that can help organizations. And I put together a framework called Core Score, and it's designed to be a run-the-business score. Right? It's not really going down into the details of you know customer point-of-view metrics. This is run-the-business metrics, a relationship score, and it's designed to give customer success executives greater confidence in their ability to lead and run the business and report up. And it's looking at metrics of retention, renewals, outcome achievement, and overall reputation. And and with that, I'm giving you a combined score that gives you brand awareness. Now, what makes ours unique, Thomas, is that unlike anything in the industry, the scores that are out there, NPS, CSAT, customer effort scores, these are one-time scores and it's what you see is what you get. And I had to take in consideration that there are companies that already have telemetry that could be used to help get this blended score, this, what is my brand score? So I took in consideration of nascent organizations, emerging and mature organizations. And I allowed flexibility that if you already have some telemetry in there, I just gave you an algorithm to convert that percentage into a score that would then help you get an overall understanding. What is my brand awareness? But I still gave you the ability to have run the run the business metrics. So it's been you know a very interesting journey uh, so far. So that's really kind of the overview. And, And for those of you who didn't listen to that podcast, I recommend it because both you and Jim put some really good thoughts on the table about how CS organizations should be defining success. Again, there's a lot more pressure on CS to defend its value to the company. It's also having a combination of the internal business metrics, which everybody you know, wants to make sure that CS is helping get renewals. 
but they also want to make sure CS is helping customers be successful. You know, it's all that stuff. I think the other key thing that I'd encourage people to seek you out on this topic is, you know, having a score is about being able to benchmark that score. So as you build that database of companies basically saying, yeah, I'm going to run my core score, then CS organizations can compare how their core score looks to a similar company, right? Whether it's, hey, I'm, I'm a small SaaS company or I'm a larger hardware company or whoever I am. So I think there's a lot of there there. So I encourage people to to pursue that. So I appreciate the update on that. I know that your your advisory board is excited about that score and in pursuing it. So I think that's that's very cool. But but the main reason I brought you in here was really to talk about the state of customer success as we enter this new year. And I just read through your state of CS paper. Um, which is going to come out when we release this new TSI portal shortly. Um, and y- you know, in the paper, w- there's several things that struck me that I want to I want to click into. But one of them is the fact that you said the most popular TSI advisory block that that you delivered from your research practice this past year was building the adoption framework. And I have to tell you, I was a little surprised when I read that because I'm thinking, okay, CS organizations, that's what they're all about is adoption. And so why are so many CS organizations today still struggling with having a well-defined customer adoption framework? It's a good question. I mean, you wrote that framework several years ago, and organizations are just now starting to lean forward into that. But I think, you know, what is the problem with them having that well-defined customer adoption framework? It's a great question. And I think there's probably three things that we have to really look at is first off, a lot of CS organizations are still very Mm -hmm. nascent. Uh, When they take a look at customer success, it's still very much an art project with them. And you and I have looked at the data, your your organizational uh, structure study that you did in 2022 was really kind of highlighting that transition, that it's starting to transition from an art project to a science project. And when we started looking at our telemetry of what is the most common questions being asked, we can really see that CS organizations are making that transition, but there's still many nascent CS organizations Mm -hmm. out there, and they just don't know how to build that framework out. Second would be that organizations are very siloed, you know, if they're not nascent. And customer success is being kind of run in a vacuum, and they're not talking with product management Mm -hmm. organizations. And that's going to be a problem, right? If customer success is not talking to product management. And a lot of times what we see is customer success organizations will be pointing their fingers at sales and saying, what did you promise? And while that's the right question to ask, it's the wrong department to Mm -hmm. ask it to. Because most of the time, product management's already figured out what the promise is. They've got the use cases. They've even got the telemetry but it's not getting shared with customer success. So in that advisory that we have, we bring in customer success and product management together and we show them in a two-hour session how to build out their framework. And then the third part of that is really the telemetry. You know, identifying that telemetry, it can be a real challenge. Now we see some organizations, they're going to make a promise, right? They're going to say, hey, look, if you buy our technology, you buy our solution, we can promise you that you're going to get a 10% reduction in your overall IT spend. Well, that's great. That's a great thing to advertise. That's a great promise to have. But what customer success inherits this customer 
they are, they're going, oh, how is it that we're supposed to measure that 10% reduction in your overall IT spend? What was the use case used by product management? How do I get that from the customer? If I'm as a service, I might be able to figure that out. But if I'm, an on, if I'm dealing with on-prem or I'm a services organization, how do I determine that 10% reduction in your IT spend? And that can be very challenging. And that's what we try to flush out in this adoption framework advisory block that we do. And it's so overwhelming. Mark Troyan, who's our senior director, Darlene Kelly, who's our senior manager, and myself, we deliver these mm-hmm. all the time. And we, you know, we worked with Hal Stanley over in um over in offer management, and he was picking this up and carrying some of the load because there was such demand signals. So we've got two departments involved, two research <laughs> uh, practices. TSA helping deliver this because there was such a demand signal. But one of the greatest testimonies, Thomas, that I that I had was a $46 billion company that we were delivering this to. Their chief customer officer was in the advisory block, which, you know, is somewhat common, but not as common as you would think. And she was in that and she said, you know what? We've spent seven months of resources, time, and treasure, trying to figure out our adoption framework, what was the right telemetry. And you all in two hours have done more and given us two draft copies that we didn't get in seven months of our own effort. Um, So I thought that that was just a great testimony in terms of, you know, what we can do to help there. And it's really got a lot of traction, a lot of organizations. Well, I would say to anybody who's listening, if you're involved in customer success, if you don't have a solid framework for assessing adoption, there's really no excuse for that anymore because you and your team have seen enough of these adoption frameworks now. You know what the sort of patterns, you know what good looks like as you just articulated, you can guide uh, people quickly through the conversation. This is not a six-month consulting engagement to figure this out. This is not hours and hours and hours of back and forth. You can go from, you know, nothing to something solid, right, as a springboard pretty quickly. And and if you don't have that (laughs) and you're a customer success organization, I mean, just, I just, that is such a severe handicap. So I just, again, I was on that point, I was just surprised how many are still struggling with that. We got to close that gap, you know, in the world of customer success. I just think it's, it's unacceptable not to, you know, to have a mature adoption framework. I'm going to move on to another point I saw in the paper that struck me. And this is that there's been this this increase in the number of companies that now have a specifically have created a renewal specialist. And I think you said it was like a 47% increase or something there. So what's going on there? Why are companies now putting in place dedicated renewal specialists? Well, there's probably three big reasons. You know, the first and foremost is complexity. You know, we talk about this in our complexity avalanche book, right? organizations just have not figured out how to remove a lot of complexity. And that can be complexity of their technology offering or complexity in their own internal processes. So, you know, because there's a lot of complexity there, this consumes time. When we talk about their time, their time is typically going to be spent in the motions of adoption, expansion, and retention, you know, the AER layer. But we talk about those in terms of charters, right? The charters of adoption, expansion, retention. Adoption's home, right? 95% of the organizations are focused on adoption. And when you start pulling CSMs off those motions, there's a risk that takes Mm -hmm. place. And organizations are figuring that out. They're going, hey, look, we're removing them from the efforts of adoption. Now they're doing multi-significant deals, whether it's multi-million dollar deals or multi-year renewals that are very complex. And because we're pulling them off adoption, we got to get somebody else, these renewal specialists, because we're consuming 
too much time in the motions of renewal versus the motions of adoption. Then I think the second thing that really comes to mind is this lack of commercial charters training. So if you think about skills inventory, the skills of CSMs, they're going to come with skills that land towards adoption, expansion, and retention. So if they've come out of maybe support services or something like that, they're going to really have that motion of adoption. But they may not have the skills of how do I how do I ask for money? How do I ask yep. for this contract to yep. be signed? That's a completely different motion. So now I've got some problems with people that I'm asking to do these renewals that really aren't trained and equipped. And we've we've identified this in our benchmark data that there's a significant lack of training that takes place here. Um, and then I think the third is really this this growth of the chief revenue officer. Mm-hmm. So where we see CS organizations that are aligning instead of under a CCO, a chief customer officer, they're now aligning under a CRO. Well, a CRO, you know, that's just home for them. They're like, okay, if, if I'm going to own the customer success management, uh, I may have some people that are already renewal specialists. So I'm going to have them continue to own that and just let CSMs focus on adoption. So there's that bifurcation. So that's probably the three things that we see as most common that's causing this renewal specialist role to grow in the state of customer success. And just to put a wrapper on this for, for folks, I mean, so who owns re- renewals? We have a lot of data and framing on that. And, you know, renewals can be owned still by sales. They can be owned directly by a CSM. They could be owned by a renewal specialist that lives in sales. They could be owned by a renewal specialist that lives in CS. There's a lot of different models there. If you're debating that, we have great data for you to reference and in examples. It is not a one size fits all model. There's definitely a lot of you know variations that are out there. I also would marry this trend to the fact that you know for a lot of companies, you know the install base just became so important. <laughs> Renewing the install base, expanding the install base, and the current economic headwinds, which are real for tech as we end, you know, as we enter this fiscal year, people are nervous about growth in general. So the install base becomes super critical. Let me keep chugging through insights here. I, I want to move to AI. And as you know, the loyal listeners to Technonic know, I mean, this is a topic that we've been on for good reasons, because we do believe this is going to significantly disrupt uh, the workflows of, of really every tech professional. We don't think anybody's immune to this. In the state of paper, you really asked this compelling question. And that is, you know, will customer success be a department that competitively stands up and takes a lead in terms of owning how AI is being used with customers and in customer engagements? And so to do that, what attributes do you see in CS organizations that are actually taking a leadership role in deploying AI capabilities? Yeah, one, that's a great question. That's a tough question, but I think it's a great question in that, you know, I think that attribute that CS leaders got to have is competitiveness, right? They have to really be thinking about how do I look at my organization and what am I doing to stand up and stand out and be different than professional service, support services, customer support, field service. I mean, they've got to be thinking about this. And as we think about AI, it is a way for customer success to stand out. And they have to be thinking about innovation. Right. So we have one member that's going to be speaking at the conference. And I, I'm going to be careful here not to give away too much information. But they looked at how do I embed AI into my mm-hmm. offering? And with that, that has changed the way that they look at customer success. 
the way they have organized customer success and the way that they engage their customers. And that's just one example. And that was innovation. That was an attribute of being innovative and in how we're looking at this. And then it's that tenacity, you know, that CS organizations got to have some tenacity to just be like, how can I do better at getting to signal liquidity? Mm -hmm. How can I use AI to help me understand how customers are using our technology or services so that we can then offer, make suggestions about how they can be better, how they can get more out of it. And then I think empathy, you know, the attribute of empathy. How can I think about engaging my long tail? And this is where we see some CS organizations getting very creative. That long tail, that low touch, that digital touch where it's no man's land, right? We only engage when we have mm -hmm. to. But leveraging AI in a way that touches the low touch and that digital touch makes the customer feel like they're getting love, they're getting connection, but in a way that it's almost like an additional mm -hmm. headcount that's helping them. This is, this is the way from the customer standpoint, but you probably remember when we had Bill McDermott come talk to us at one of our conferences, he was talking about, you have to find the way also to use technology to pull out the mundane yep. in what the CSMs do day in and day out. And I think that there's an opportunity for customer success executives to be that bulldozer for their CSMs, that attribute of just trying to get obstacles out of their way and using AI to replace the mundane, soul-crushing you know, stuff that they just don't want to do, they don't like mm -hmm. to do, but AI can do that for them. So there's two ways there of looking at in terms of those attributes of attributes. How do I get focused on my customers and then attributes how do I get focused on my team so that they have a better experience with my organization? And you and I've had several conversations about CS and, and AI. And, and one of the concerns that we have is that I personally have concern is that CS organizations are going to be laggards on leaning into AI within tech companies that they, you know, supports doing some really interesting things to take out cost and, and do better predictive and proactive support. We've seen really interesting use case studies in ES. We see, you know, even professional services starting to, and CS has got to step up here just so everybody is crystal clear. You know, our role, when we talk about AI and the research we're doing at TSIA, we are, are trying to help our member companies understand a couple things. First of all, what are the real world use cases that are actually successfully being deployed across customer success and support and PS? And I know that that's you know the work that your team's doing. So so you basically said at a high level, here's the opportunities. What's the next click down? What are people actually doing? We're trying to help members sort through that, and we're also trying to help people understand what the biggest friction points are. Right in terms of delaying successful deployment, or, or or you know you don't get the ROI you thought you were going to get, because we want to separate this fact from fiction. There's a plethora of platitudes out there about how AI is going to change everything, and it's like you just said, it's going to take off the mundane, and it has all this upside. I think we believe that we, we're already seeing it, but you got to lean into the next click here. And so I really encourage CS organizations to it, this cannot be high level thought experiment. This has got to be what are specific use cases that are going to help us address the long tail, that are going to help us take out some of the mundane, that are going to, you know, help us accelerate adoption, that are going to help us do predictive analytics on retention, that are going to help us dot dot dot. There's a lot of powerful use cases that CS organizations can jump on. And that's not three or five years away. Right. That's unfolding now. So that's a, a big one. But I'm going to keep clicking here because there's so many things I want to touch on here with you. 
So the role of partners, that's something that has been coming up in Tectonic quite a bit. In fact, I have a guest that, uh, that Vanessa and I are going to be talking about to even later today on this very topic, and specifically the role of partners when it comes to as-a-service offers, right? So now we've sold a customer, maybe they're on a managed service, maybe they're on a SaaS platform. And what is the role of partners in delivering customer success on your behalf? If somebody knocked on your door and said, hey, Stephen, we want our partners to be a you know, to help us deliver CS, how would you coach them? Like, what are one, two, three things you tell them to think about if they're going down that path? That's a great question. Partners is, is definitely key. I mean, especially in a challenged economy right now, you've got to be thinking about how can I leverage partners? You know, how can I use them? And the first thing you got to really focus on as a technology or services provider, you got to be thinking about what is the charter that I want from my partners? It's unfortunate, Thomas. I would love to tell you that even our partners come to us and say, hey, you know, my technology provider that I'm supporting has yet to tell me what I'm supposed to do. They sometimes don't know if they're responsible for adoption, expansion, and retention, or one or two of those or all three. They don't know. And that's really unfortunate in today's economy. We really have to make sure that we are crystal clear. What is the charter? What am I asking of my partners? Do I want you to focus strictly on adoption, strictly on renewals, strictly on expansion, or do I want you to do a combination thereof? So getting that crystal clear is step one, hands down. Next is going to be around sharing data, right? And we can't continue to be successful if it's my data, right? And you and JB do a really good job talking about organizations that say, hey, that you know, sales owns the customer. I own the customer. And companies that move away from that and say, nobody owns the customer. We all own the customer, but who owns the process? Well, when it comes to partners, it can't yeah. be, this is my data. It's got to be, this is our data. The partner needs to share data with the OEM. The OEM needs to share data with the partner. If anybody's going to have success, that usually gets in then to the technology. Which technologies am I using? Am I using a CS platform? Am I using a CRM? Well, then who owns the, who has the responsibility to own the licensing, right? Well, if I'm a technology or services provider and I want access to my customer data, then I probably want to buy the licensing so then I can mm -hmm. see what's going on. Otherwise, the partner is going to own those licenses and they're going to own whether you see data or not. And that's kind of a role reversal situation that doesn't set of the technology or services provided for success. And then the last one is really, the third one is partner enablement. We have seen a huge shift in customer success to where you've heard of the role of customer success manager. And that's CSM, everybody's heard of that. Now it's PCSM, partner customer success manager. And this is a person that really treats the partners much like you would a high touch, right? High touch is typically a 10 customers to one a CSM. We talk about it as no more than 15 to one ratio. But when you talk about partners, it's kind of the same concept. You're managing a certain amount of partners and you're enabling them. You're providing them with journey maps, success plans, playbooks. You have a You have a person allocated to help that partner to be successful. These are some of the areas that we see organizations uh, that do this and do this well have great success. A couple of things I'll put on the table regarding this this handshake, because I do think in this podcast that right now in the industry, it is fundamentally broke between technology providers and, and their partner ecosystem 
regarding as a service offers. It's just not where it needs to be. And there's a couple elephants in the room. One of them is, what is my partner doing in terms of adoption, et cetera? And the real heart of that issue is, and how in the hell are they going to make money at that? <laughs> right? I mean, hell, you know, if they don't have a strategy of monetizing CS, you can't expect a partner to start hiring CS people and deploying CS people and running all these adoption cycles if there's no there there for them. So that's an elephant in the room. The other elephant in the room is this data handshake, which you're talking about, which is whose data is what, how are we sharing it? We have been telling the technology providers since the as-a-service playbook, chapter 10, changes in the channel, that you've got to stand up a compelling platform that your partners can build value on top of. And I'll tell you, I'm doing recording a webinar today on our quarterly snapshot, right? the TNS 50 and the Cloud 40. And every time I get the Cloud 40 snapshot, I look for some of the most profitable SaaS companies in there and I click into their financials and I kind of see what's driving that and shine a bright light on that. And the one that I'm going to highlight uh, this quarter is Qualys. And when you look and they're crushing it in terms of profitability, their rule of 40, they're growing, you look at their secret sauce, they are security platform, but they have built a platform that they have tons of partners building value and solutions on top of, right? So it's a great example of an as-a-service platform that is being driven to the marketplace, mostly through partners, which is a lot of SaaS and as-a-service companies. They want that, but there's got to be there there. There's a lot of headroom on this topic, and we're going to keep chipping on it because it's this is by no means um, you know mature yet in, in the industry. Let me keep going here. I, I want to go back to CS basically just justifying their existence. And customer success managers, you know, they have the potential to be a critical source of leads for both upsell and cross-sell. And again, the install base has become so important to the health of, of companies right now. And so, you know, if you had one piece of advice to listeners on how to make CS a more effective channel for these types of leads, what would that be? What would you tell folks? Really good question. There's so many things I would like to say. But you've limited me to one. one so what's, what's the one thing? Yeah, one at the table. I would say you've got to get the compensation right. Um, they have to be driven to perform and behave in a way. And I think the industry gets really confused by creating quotas. And that's the wrong thing to do with mm -hmm. customer success managers. We really want to create what's called booking contribution targets, okay. BCTs. Don't go with quotas because here's why. This is the mistake that's getting made in the industry. That's, that's for sales. Quotas is for sales. You know, Steve Frost talks about if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. And if it carries a quota, it's a salesperson. So when we start doing quotas and we look at behaviors with quotas in the sales industry, if quotas are not achieved, then that person in that role are terminated, right? That is the wrong thing to do for customer success. We, if we give them quotas and they don't hit those numbers and we terminate a CSM that has worked so hard to get to the trusted advisor status, we made a huge mistake. BCTs are different because we're really telling them in lead generation and upsell and cross-sell, you're identifying opportunities that add to an overall booking contribution target that we're trying to get to to drive additional revenue. And then if we're going to do this, let's give them the non-complex deals, right? Let's create these BCTs and get the CSMs focused on non-complex deals because they are a cheaper resource. They're less costly than a salesperson. And let's let those salespeople work on the very hard stuff so that the CSMs can work on the non-complex stuff so that their attention doesn't get too far away from the motions of adoption. Because when adoption's done well, 
lead generations, upsell, cross-sell, all that happens when adoption's done well. But when adoption's done poorly, you're not going to upsell or cross-sell. So let me play this back because there's a lot of nuance there in what you in what you said. Again, a salesperson starts a year and they say, look, you got a million dollar quota, whatever it is, right? And and here's your patch of companies to go talk to, and here's the products in which you go sell. And it is a very hardcore performance driven world, as you as you stated. But that is a quota. These booking targets, if you're a CSM and you do have some commercial responsibility, it is going to look and feel more like, okay, you have a pool of accounts here that you were trying to renew. And so either we expect some type of target renewal rate, which is going to generate you know, a certain financial number, or we have an expectation on some financial number yeah. from that pool that you're going to renew. But driving that number is often a lot of different levers, right? It, it could be you renew the core contract. Maybe there's some expansion that they have you know, on a core contract. Maybe there's a cross-sell, like you're saying, they found a a lead here and they help. So there's a lot of different ways that can help them basically keep or grow the money that's in play. So on one, and again, I'm just thinking for a listener who's never worked with comp plans on CS folks versus sales folks, it, one lens you say, well, there's really no difference there, right? A salesperson has a quota, it's a million dollar number. There are CSMs that have multi-million dollar numbers, right? And they're renewals. So you say, well, what's the difference? But it is a very different mentality and sort of what's driving the components of those numbers and the realization of those numbers. Is there anything else you want to put on the table just to help people understand the differences between, you know, these booking targets and these quotas? Yeah, I think the BCT's booking contribution targets, you know, there has Mm -hmm. flexibility, right? It is a a goal for the CSM to try to generate that opportunity, but it's done through the motions Mm -hmm. of, of adoption, done well. Because once you've earned that respect, they can identify that. I think it's just really looking at it at from the standpoint of if they don't hit it. I work for an organization. If you're off a couple of percent, you're gone. You know, so some organizations are maybe thinking, well, if they're off on their BCTs, what is the gap? And that's what I came to answer here, right? Each organization can be different. And if it's 10%, 15%, then we may have to look at going back to a previous conversation in this podcast, skills inventory. Do we have the right person in this role? Because if they're trained in adoption, but they don't have the commercial skills, that could be the organization's fault for not doing possible training. So we're going to have to really look at each case uh, individually to kind of get the best recipe for success. And that's where we can help because we've got compensation advisory blocks and customer success opportunities to go deep. And, and yeah, I mean, the other topics. observation I'll, I'll make here in the industry, I mean, there is, a, there is this, as you know, a lot of pressure on the overall cost structure. And so people are looking, I've got sales account execs, I've got mm-hmm. CSM, how many do I need? Do I need both? And also, so this, this this is going on, right? This this whole conversation is going on. But CSMs, I believe, and for a lot of companies already, when you start the year, your CS organization already has the biggest nut for the company <laughs> by far. They have the biggest revenue target because they own the renewals either through specialists or directly through the CSMs. That's their nut and it dwarfs what salespeople are doing, right? So from that lens, you go, gosh, CS is really a very commercial organization, but you cannot lose the nuance that you're putting on the table here. As soon as you go one click down into what's driving that number, the process, the behavior, the skills, the DNA, it is very, very different. It is very, very different. And you can't lose sight of that. You know, I've talked, I mean, I think for CS organizations, back to this justifying their existence, the closer you are to the money, the better. <laughs> the closer you are 
and you can, you know, direct line of sight to, yeah. I'm driving that renewal number, I'm driving that upsell, I'm driving that whatever, then you can justify your existence. If you are completely removed from that and you look like all overhead, then you're more at risk. Okay. I want to get two more here on the, uh, on the table. So we've done a lot of papers that help people understand the difference between customer success versus customer experience, the difference between customer experience versus customer success operations, right? So there's a lot of different concepts out there in the wild, but I still think there's a lot of confusion um, on these differences. So what do you feel tech professional, if you're a manager, an executive, what, what, what do they need to understand about the differences in these different concepts? <laughs> well, I'm going to use an analogy uh, or maybe a picture. If you've ever seen that picture of a penguin and he's wearing a red bow tie and he's with a million other penguins and it says, I've got to be me. Oh, I've just got to be me. That's really what's okay. going on in customer success. The name of customer success is powerful. And everybody wanted to jump on the bandwagon when it. What's not to like about customer success, right? I mean, that whole term right there, like what, like who doesn't want to be part of that? I want yeah, I, I help customers be successful. Exactly. The problem is there's too many departments that want that name. And the biggest offender is support services or customer support. They love that name and they try to latch onto it. Education services will do it as well. And they start taking on these names. And I know when I do research briefs with companies that want to join us, I can start telling very quickly if I'm talking to an organization that has customer support that's been renamed customer success, they're not doing motions of adoption. So then this creates confusion in the industry. So when I'm talking to organizations and we're talking about customer success, it gets really confusing because some organizations were like, Penguin with a red bow tie. Oh, we've renamed ourselves customer experience. And that's a completely different department within the customer success organization. And it's usually serving, behind the scenes mm -hmm. serving customer success. That creates confusion. And then you have other organizations that have this customer success operations that are doing the work of mm -hmm. customer experience versus CS operations. So when I first joined TSI, I jumped on this very quickly because I was seeing this in any research brief and then engagement with members. I realized there, there was this notion that customer success and customer experience yeah. were just synonymous. They were just interchangeable terms. And I had to really jump on this and go, hey, look, these are two different departments. And I did a study. In the study, we showed that 64% of the industry has both customer success and customer experience. Customer and customer success. experience yep. supports customer success. Yep. Well, that's different than customer support, right? Rename themselves customer experience or customer success. And then everybody gets confused mm -hmm. on, well, what does CX do yeah. that's different than CS operations? And then I spell it out in the paper. And then in the the second paper, the difference between customer experience, CS operations, we put a maturity model in there because we wanted organizations to realize that when you're just starting out, CS does everything. Customer success management does everything. They do the ex customer experience work. They do the CS operations work until they get the right funding to do that. So we showed in a maturity model when the roles and responsibilities and when they start bifurcating out. When does the work that customer success management would do get moved over to customer experience? And then when does it move over to CS operations? We showed the work and we've got research to back it up. We showed what the industry is doing. And then we put a matrix behind it to make it really easy. If I can use this time to say, 
please work with us in the industry because when you use words because you're trying to be the penguin with the red bow tie, it just confuses everybody. And we're trying to get the standardization. So if everybody wanted to call an apple a different name, then we wouldn't be calling an apple an apple. And that just gets really confusing. So yeah, and that's I'm gonna what play we're trying to that, do. Is get sort of the executive summary, right? Playing back, right? So, so why is this important to get the vernacular c- correct here? So everybody, I don't care if you're in professional services, education, even salespeople, they're like, hey, I want to help the customer be successful. I'm part of that. What we're saying is customer success, as it is a profession within tech, is a very distinct thing. And it's not support, it's not education. And the litmus test there is very simple. Okay, is this an organization that is proactively working on the adoption of your solution? Yes or no? Is is that what their charter is? Because that's typically support. They wait for the call, professional services, implements, they move on, education calls to train. But, But who day in and day out wakes up and says, I am responsible for driving successful adoption? That's the litmus test. And that, and when support organizations rebrand right. themselves and say, oh, no, I'm really a customer success organization, and I'm just sitting here waiting for the phone to ring, right, or get the trouble ticket, you didn't pass that litmus test. So people just need to understand, mm-hmm. you, call it, you know, we prefer you call it customer success, you want to call it something else, I don't care. But that's number one. Once you have that thought in play, there are two supporting mechanisms. One is a department that is really analytical and scientific about the customer experience. They are studying that. Where are the friction points? Where's our technology fall down? Where do our processes fall down? And they are constantly looking for ways to create a better customer experience. You know, the more science you have there, the better your customer success organization is going to perform, right? So that's the difference right there. And then customer operations is the same way you look at a sales department organization, they typically have sales ops. What are they working on? They're working on comp plans. They're working on processes. They're working on rolling out the CRM. All that stuff, types of things, but for flavors for CS, I've got, you know, I've got a CSM system in place. I've got comp plans. I've got adoption processes. I got an adoption framework. I got to train people on. I've got soft skills. I got to develop. That's what a customer operations. So it's really not that complex. And, and, and like you said, we have broken it down. It's very clear. There's maturity models there. But to your point, if people just throw these terms around, they, they start to become meaningless. So as you already articulated, it doesn't help if people are just using them imp- improperly or confusing themselves as leaders and what am I investing in or not investing in. So I thought that would be a, that was an important one to, to hit on here. So I'm going to close. A lot, the last thing I want to put on the table here in this session is I want to close with this teaser. There is a great book by Frank Slootman. He's the CEO of Snowflake. He used to be at ServiceNow. He was a Data Dimension before that. The book is titled Amp It Up. I have to say, I, I, I loved the book. I think it's super insightful for anybody in tech. But he has this chapter that asks this fundamental question. Do you need a customer success organization? Right? He just puts it out there. You know, Do you really need this? And he has a strong opinion on this. You and I have just drafted an open letter to Frank in response to that chapter. It's going to come out next month uh, for any of RCS brethren out there, right? If you're being asked, do we really need your CS organization? What would you say to them? Absolutely. The answer is yes. While I respect Frank Slootman's question, and he's asking a very provocative question, and it's a good question to ask. It's the same thing as asking, does an orchestra need a conductor? Does a football team need a quarterback? And does a team need a coach? Could an orchestra get by without a conductor? 
Yeah, but it's going to be like organized chaos. It would be fun to watch, but it may not be fun to attend. And it may not have the outcomes that you desire. I'm trying to picture Super Bowl if it was quarterbackless, right? Nobody's calling the shots. You know, the quarterbacks are the ones kind of at the last minute adjusting everybody. They're looking at what's coming and they're calling everybody's attention and they're trying to make sure that the next play is successful. And that's really what customer success management does, right? They are the ones that are holistically looking at their customers. They're looking at their internal teams and they're trying to make sure that everybody is playing their part. Professional services is engaging. Customer support is taking care of an escalation. Trainings on site, doing what they need to do. And they as CSMs are making sure that they're getting adoption and what they need to be successful. If you remove that, I just don't know that it's going to be pretty. And I think if you remove it, you remove it at your own peril, your own risk, because I would say that your competition will probably continue to invest. And if I'm a customer and I'm going to go to see an orchestra with or without a conductor, or I'm going to go to the Super Bowl and watch a team with or without a quarterback, I'm probably going to opt where there's organization and perfection. And that's really what the CSMs are there for. So again, if you're going to do it, I listen to you, I'm going to take the other side of the argument here to be provocative. And that is, I would say that what Frank would argue, and he does argue in in, in the book, is that, okay, yeah, you need a quarterback, but that can be done by your existing sales organization with really good cross-functional process. So his main assertion is that is sort of an artificial role that has been created by the industry, that you don't need that quarterback, all right? But what I will say in, in what we put in this paper is there's a reason that this capability has been been created. And I'm going to assert that it's the quarterback could be part of it, could not be part of it. I, I think that that is not the overarching reason. There has always been in this industry a need for specialization. There's a reason there are support professionals Right, and, and that that was broken out of what core product engineering at one point, right? You'd have engin- engineers that were writing new stuff, supporting the product. At some point, you go, "This isn't scaling, isn't working." We broke it out. When we went to the as a service world, and when adoption became mm-hmm. so critical to renewal and future revenues, suddenly there was a specialization there that became paramount to the industry. And so, I think that that is a really important in thought. So again, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh crap, my CEO or my CEO, you know, CEO or my CFO read that book and they read that chapter, they're on the, in the on the Frank train, right? And that's why we wrote this open letter here. Is is there is really good both data and framework and rationale for why this function again last time uh, we did our org structure survey, 76% of all the tech companies, that's hardware companies, that's SaaS companies, that's old software companies that now have to have 76% of these organizations now have a dedicated customer success organization in play. That's not a, f- a fluke. <laughs> That's not a hot trend that is going to go by the wayside. There's a reason that got created. And in that paper, we lined that out. And that's that's going to be out there for the whole industry to read because I know there are some you know sales organizations that are in the fight of their life right now, you know, trying to justify themselves. Yeah, you could throw sales at it, like you said. But they're the most expensive resource in your company. And do we really want to pay the most expensive person to be focused on motions of adoption? Yeah. And, uh, and I'm sorry, I'm sales yeah. organization, not only are they super expensive to drive adoption, that is not their DNA. I'm sorry. There's salespeople is not what that's not what they're about. I love sales. Salespeople aren't going away, man. We need awesome salespeople, but you got to play them to their to their strengths. So, well, hey, Stephen, thanks so much for coming in today. It's a great 
conversation. It's a great state of paper coming out. I encourage people to take advantage of that, uh, having your finger on the pulse of what the heck's going on. And I always like to end with the question of the day. And today, I am going to do a blatant plug for the TSI platform. The state of customer success is clearly in flux. Do you have the best data and insights to fight the battles at hand? Cheers, everybody. Thank you.